0: with me to 1st John, the second chapter, we're going to start today with uh, preaching in just a few minutes and uh, then we'll have a song set and band after that. Um, We're in the New Testament book of 1st John toward the end of the New Testament um, in a series called Prove It, which is all about um, the proof of God's presence being something that's made known, made real in his people. Um, so today we're talking about proving it by standing firm in the gospel. We're going to read that passage together in 1 John 2:18 through 27 uh, in just a couple minutes. So I want to make sure you have that handy. There are a couple places to grab Bibles on the way in there um, if you don't have one. Uh, if you need one, just raise up your hand and uh, we'll get one to you if you need a Bible um, so that we can study together. We sort of do sermon time with Bibles in hand. As a matter of principle, hey, today is Mother's Day in case you have forgotten. Um, Friendly reminder, uh, today is Mother's Day. um, So don't let today pass by uh, without making sure you give mom a call if she is still alive and around without taking time. Don't let today pass by without taking time to uh, be grateful to God that you are alive, uh, that you were birthed, I guess, is certainly something to be grateful for. And you're allowed to live When uh, perhaps you were less likely then to live, to be allowed to be raised. Your mom let you live. Maybe I'm speaking autobiographically at this point, apparently. That's what I thought. Um, Use me as an excuse if you need. Hey, the pastor said, give you a call, mom, to tell you that I love you and I'm grateful for you, so... You're welcome. Next Sunday is Sunday Fun Day, Construction Done Day, Attempt Two. Um, we um, have had a quite a bit of construction happening around the church building the last number of months, and uh, a lot of it is done. Most of it's done, so we just thought we'd use that excuse to get together. There's going to be like a kind of a fair-like festival atmosphere outside next uh, Sunday after uh, our three services. Um, That's going to be happening right out in front there. No need to sign up, just show up. Details in the bulletin. Also, uh, VBS is coming up in just over three weeks. Gadgets and gizmos is the stated theme. We're going to be talking about how um, all children are made in the image of God. And we use that as a time for us at FCC um, to instruct our kids about uh, what service looks like. Um, So they use that time as a service opportunity as well. We're going to get to 1 John 2 in just a second here, but I want to briefly communicate, um, just for a few minutes, some of our big picture vision here at FCC. Uh, we're got, starting to get a number of newer folks to be a part of us, and so we want to cover these kinds of things every once in a while to make sure are on the same page, make sure you understand something that's real important for how we do church. Uh, we challenge our people to live out what we call the nine habits, which I know sounds like a lot, um, but we talk about these nine habits because these are what shape us into an environment, that is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. And I know a nine habits kind of sounds like a lot to expect, and at one level it is. Uh, but this morning I want to emphasize what we call the big three that you see here on screen. These are three foundational environments in which we are encouraging our people to participate. If you can remember these three, it'll go a long way because it'll help make it simple. The first three of our nine habits is engage in worship, serve on a team, and connect in a life group. And our structure is geared uh, to continue to support the growth of the body and your personal growth in this way by having the body do the work of ministry, Ephesians 4.11, if you want to look for a biblical precedent for that. I say all that to say two quick things to emphasize these things today. The front lines of your personal care and spiritual growth happens in these three areas at First Christian Church. We have structured it intentionally this way. So in our structure, beyond engaging worship, serving a team and connecting a life group are the main places to be involved because team leaders and life group leaders, those two people are your main mentors for growth at FCC, team leader and life group leader. Uh, I also want to emphasize this point, then we'll read the passage, pray and get into the message today. Uh, I have seen this uh, dynamic happen at SEC time and time <laughs> again with people in, in kind of a positive and a negative way. The longer that you are here and you are not involved in these three areas, the more disconnected over time you will feel. Conversely, the longer you are here and the more involved you are in these three areas, the more you will grow. This is how we've designed it. This is, this is how we've structured it. Uh, we're very intentional uh, about this uh, structure for your growth at FCC. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page about that because it's pretty important about our vision uh, to become uh, people, to become an environment that is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. So um, thanks for listening to Pastoral Vision Rant. Let's get into it. First John 2. 18 through 27, cool passage, and we'll pray and jump into our study time together. It says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we ask that you would use your word as an authority in our lives that you would use your written word coupled with our humility to its authority in our lives to call us to embody your presence in a way that proves, in a way that illustrates and makes real, in a way that makes clear to the world around us that you are Almighty God and your Spirit lives in us and makes us new. Use our time together in your word toward that end today. That we would be men and women and marriages and families. That we would be a body of believers that communicates this truth. That you're a God who changes lives. That you resurrect us through your Spirit's work. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If any of you have any experience with... uh, recovery programs, do you know anything about that, like AA or NA, Alcoholics or Narcotics Anonymous, uh, then you probably know that at the beginning of every meeting, there are these weekly meetings that take place. Each person around the group introduces himself or herself uh, with a particular phrase and uh, their name, and they say like, something like, hi, I'm Scott, I'm an alcoholic, or hi, I'm Scott, I'm an addict. And then everybody says, in response, they say, hi, yeah, some of y'all know. Nice. That was faster than first service. And they were like, huh? that's our little secret. So I'm going I'm to try that with you, just a little version of that here today. Um, so here's my version of that introduction. Hi, my name is Scott, and uh, I am in recovery for an intellectual inferiority complex. Thank you. Um, in case you're wondering, that's a self-named, self-diagnosed thing. You're not going to find that in the DSM-5 or anything like that. Um, but, but seriously, I have suffered in, in, in a sense. I've struggled with uh, an intellectual sort of inferior, inferiority complex uh, for a long time. I, I grew up around many very smart people <laughs> who knew lots of things about lots of things, especially when it came to matters of the Bible and of faith. And so I went away from those years, uh, went away as a kid with the lesson that being the best and uh, you know, being the most looked up to, having the most authority in the room, sort of all depended upon being the smartest. Okay, so that's kind of a lesson I took away. For me, my lesson was uh, sounding like you were the smartest. That was sort of my personal shortcut to it. Um, so when I was in college and in seminary, I hung around a whole bunch of really smart people who knew lots of things, lots of things, and they all had Ph.D.s. Um, and, and in my head, in my heart, I was going to get two three Ph.D.s by the time I was 30. And uh, that's when I started to, to understand this sort of intellectual inferiority complex. Um, it was a real thing for me. It was a struggle because that's the point at which I, I, I began to not be able to keep up. Uh, and, and being able to verbalize things well <laughs> was shown to be what it was. I, I didn't really know what I was talking about, but I sounded like it. And everybody could see through that. So, so I struggled with those constant... That, that's not the case anymore, by the way. I'm just kidding. I want to give you a complex. Um, so I struggled with constant feelings uh, of inferiority. Uh, and, I, and I still do. I still do when it comes to this intellectual inferiority complex. So uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to let my shoes sort of uh, represent my inferiority complex. Uh, Don't even start joking about smelling my feet that way. I'll have another complex. I manufacture complexes. So we're going to let my shoes here uh, sort of represent my inferiority complex. Um, Here is a visual um, throughout most of the sermon. Uh, We're just going to set them here. And, and let them be kind of a, a visual of that. Uh, when I'm uncomfortable, maybe you do this when you come home uh, after a long day. When I'm uncomfortable, I take off my shoes. So we're going to let that represent being uncomfortable, inferiority, intellectual inferiority complex, all those kinds of insecurities. So turns out, turns out in First John that I'm among friends when it comes to this kind of feeling about. Uh, feeling inferior to others intellectually, because apparently within the context of 1 John, many of the believers there had some form of an intellectual inferiority complex. There is this uh, this, this dynamic throughout First John where these false teachers had had sort of infiltrated the community there and they had been communicating to those to whom John was writing uh, that they were intellectually superior, that they had the secret knowledge, that they knew what was up and all you little people didn't have any idea. And so for the first time in First John, um, we begin to see why John regularly communicated to them through 1 John this reassurance that it's going to be okay. Like, like it's okay, Scotty, you're not as dumb as you feel. I mean, it's kind of one of the messages as I read through 1 John that I'm taking away. And I know that sounds a little, a little weird to hear a preacher say. <laughs> he just said, you're not as dumb as you feel. And, and I, I do think that's akin to what some of the people... In 1 John, we're experiencing because of these false teachers who are communicating, I know the truth and you don't. So let's, let's see what this dynamic has to teach us today about standing firm in the gospel. Standing firm in the gospel. Jump in at verse 18. And we're going to look at just that first word because it's a way that John, the Apostle John, communicates to those who are reading, hey, let me remind you, let me remind you, you're God's child. He says this, verse 18, just the first word, children, children. Now, the Apostle John begins here by calling his readers children throughout the whole book of 1 John which only has five pretty short chapters, he refers to his recipients as children 14 times. He refers to God as their father 13 times, and he refers to Jesus as the Son of God 22 times. Throughout the entire book of First John, he keeps coming back to this family of God theme. It's a little like John is saying, it's okay, fellow believers, you're not as dumb as you feel. You're not as inferior intellectually as it feels. We'll unpack that later on. And I know that sounds a little bit silly for a preacher to say, like, you're not as dumb as you feel. But I think that's akin to what was going on there. And so he writes to reassure them that they were sort of in the family. And so he starts off the book this way in 1 John 1, 1.3. We're going to put this on, on screen here for you in 1 John 1, 1.3. He starts off the book with this family language. He talks about this amazing truth that eternal life was made known to us, was manifest to us in Jesus. And then he reassures them that they are part of that fellowship between father and son. 1 John 1.3 he says, Indeed, as a way of saying, like, certainly, surely. as a way of emphasizing, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So in various ways throughout this entire book, John keeps coming back to this theme. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Indeed, our fellowship, our relationship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He keeps saying, children, don't forget, you have an eternal heavenly Father because you have fellowship with the Son. Children, don't forget, you have an eternal heavenly Father because you have fellowship with the Son. He keeps emphasizing this to reassure them throughout the book, you aren't, you aren't as inferior as you feel. You aren't in, as inferior as you feel. We'll get to the reasons why soon enough. Let's keep unpacking at verse 18, where we see this context that motivated John to write. He says this, Children, it is the last hour, meaning the time between Jesus' first coming and his eventual return, meaning we're in the last hour now. It's been the last hour ever since Jesus came. It will be the last hour until he returns. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard of that Antichrist is coming, meaning they've heard because Jesus predicted it. So now many antichrists have come. In other words, like they're here, they're in droves. And these antichrists were false teachers; they were fakes. Uh, they would they would be posers who would come after Jesus' first coming. And, and so that's why he says, "You have heard that antichrist is coming. So now, because they're already among us, many antichrists have come. You don't have to wait; they're already here." Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Now, many of us grew up. Let's press pause for a second before we move on to the text. Many of us grew up hearing about this Antichrist idea. Uh, This idea that the Antichrist will be an evil beast and world power who, at the end of all time, will lead the forces of evil against the forces of Jesus in one big final battle. That is mostly based on prophecy from Revelation and Daniel and a few other places in the Bible. Um, But by the way, Revelation doesn't even use the word Antichrist. And so that kind of Antichrist is not what John is talking about here. John is referring here to antichrists as false teachers, to those who communicate falsehoods about who Jesus was, about who God the Father is and how we have relationship with him. So that's who he's referring to here in 1 John. That's as simple as we can make it. These false teachers were the antichrists. So he's referring here to them more about how they perverted the gospel in a few verses. But up to this point, uh, John is telling the Christians, listen, Relax. Those of you who have fellowship with the Father through the Son, don't freak out. Jesus told us that there would be false teachers and that they would twist the basics of the good news. And ever since Jesus left, there have been these false teachers. You, you know them by name, some of them. Comes with the territory. Comes with the territory. So ever since he left, there have been false teachers. Keep reading. Verse 19. He says they, meaning the Antichrist people, the anti Christians there, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They left us, but they were never really part of us, because they believed something different about Jesus. Details coming later. So even though you may feel inferior because of those who left, even though you may feel inferior because of those who left, he's saying they were the ones who misunderstood, not you. This is key. We'll keep unpacking this throughout. He says, for if they had been of us, they would have continued. They would have remained with us. But they went out, meaning they left us, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. So listen, John says, they've already proven whose they are. They've already told. They've already shown. They left. They believed some incorrect things about the gospel. But they've already proven whose, they's, whose they are. They are against Christ. But then he says this. Look at verse 20. But you... He draws a very clear distinction. They were the ones that were wrong. <laughs> they made you feel inferior, like shoes, but, but you remained and you know what you need to know. That's what he says here in verses 20 and following. You have been anointed, set apart by the Holy One, and you all have uh, knowledge, he says, the, the, the body of knowledge that you need to know to have fellowship with the Father. He says, I write to you not because you don't know the truth, verse 21, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So he's writing them not because they, they misunderstand something, and they needed to be corrected, but because they needed reassurance. That what they already knew about Jesus was all that they needed to know about Jesus to have fellowship with the Father. That's a key point. John is saying throughout this book, relax. You're not as dumb, you're not as inferior as you feel. Those intellectually superior ones who left were, were, were anti-Christ in their understanding. Now at this point it's still a little confusing because um, in the text here at least of First John, he hasn't really told us in specific terms what the dispute was that was going on. We'll get there in a minute, but let's set the tone before we fill in the blanks by just saying this. Let's say that uh, you had church friends. Uh, Let's say they were in your life group after engaging in worship, serving a team, connecting a life group. If you had church friends who were in your life group and they claimed that they were in some sense uh, anointed, like they were set apart and had special knowledge about Jesus that you didn't have, but they did. And they claimed that your understanding was inferior. And they lorded that over you. And not only did they lord that over you, but they, they claimed that you are a, sort of an inadequate, inferior follower of Christ because your belief about Jesus was inadequate. And it got to the point where that special knowledge that they had was something over which your relationship, your fellowship was broken. They left. Because, well, you know according to them. You didn't have the inside track on the spiritual knowledge like they did. Wouldn't you be upset? Frustrated? <laughs> left to feel inferior? Of course you would. You'd be left wondering, maybe, maybe they were right. Maybe they knew something I didn't. Uh, now, that, now that you mention it, you know, I, I do kind of feel like this a lot. And, and, and I learned lots of lessons in life about how much I don't know. And a lot of people communicate that to me most days. Uh, becomes becomes sort of this like personal meme of my life. You know, it's like this is, this is what I tell myself. That's a lot about what's going on. That's like what's going on here in First John. So to, to sort of set the tone like that, what were the specifics... Of the conflict. John begins to fill in the blanks here in verses 22 and 23. Look there with me, if you would please. We're going to pick it up a bit here. He says, Who is the liar? He's asking rhetorically here to make a statement, really. Who is the real liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Apparently, that's what they were saying, that Jesus is not the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father. And the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. So notice here that in verse 22, the liar, the false teacher, the ones he calls the antichrists, they are the ones who, in verse 22, deny that Jesus is the Christ. You see, we talk about Jesus Christ. That's not like first name, last name, just for the record. His last name wasn't Christ. It wasn't wasn't a name, it was a, a title that was associated with, with him. And, and to call Jesus Christ was to make a statement about Jesus, the human being, also divine, being Messiah, being what was called the Son of God. So John says that the Antichrist, the false teacher, is the one who denied that the human man Jesus was also Christ, Son of God, divine. Now there's one other place in First John that fills in the blank for us a little more. If you want to turn with me to 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3, this sheds a little more light on the specifics of the conflict that they were having. Uh, these s- sort of inferior people talking to the believers as if they didn't know enough. 1 John 4, 2 and 3, they say this, By this you know the Spirit of God. We'll talk about testing the spirits in a couple of weeks. Uh, By this you know the Spirit of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, is of God, is born of God. Now notice here that John adds this little part about Jesus coming in the flesh. That's the only part that's different from what we've already read in 1 John 2. He says there in verse 2 that anyone who confesses that in Jesus God has come in the flesh. Anyone who confesses that is born of God, is, is born of Holy Spirit. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus as God come in the flesh is not from God. Now, now quick history lesson. This is helpful for where this whole text is headed for us. These false teachers in 1 John uh, held to an early form of a, a, a a heresy, a false teaching called Docetism. Docetism's D O C E T I S M. D O C E T I S M. Docetism was eventually ruled by the early church fathers as a heretical false teaching. Uh, and here's why the docetics denied Christ's full humanity they claimed that Jesus only seemed, that he only looked or appeared fully human. They said he he couldn't have possibly taken fully, taken on human flesh, because they believed, as many of their day did, they believed that humanity, that human flesh was too broken, too fallen, and too sinful to be a vessel, to be a place for divinity to live. Let me say that again, it's a smidge complicated. (laughs) The ascetics believed that humanity, the human flesh, was too broken, too fallen, too sinful, too messed up, uh, to be a vessel for divinity. If you think about it for a second, it doesn't sound totally crazy. I mean, mean, think about this. Knowing what you know about yourself (laughs) and how messed up you really are, and how messed up I am, think about how much your human flesh has been a vessel for sin and self and worship of self. It feels, knowing what we know about how our human bodies, how our flesh, how our lives have been used for sin, it feels like, it feels like A stretch to believe. Not only that God's Spirit can go into the flesh of a man named Jesus, but more specifically, and perhaps more difficult for us to believe, it feels like heresy to say that God's perfections, His holy, divine Spirit, can be in unholy me. I know this for myself. It it feels like it's wrong to say God, divine, holy, perfect creator of the universe, can live in this sinful person's body. It feels like heresy to say that. So so here's the struggle. Many of us are still functional docetics. We still function as if we cannot possibly be a vessel for the Holy Spirit to live. We still believe deep down this inferiority complex is the real truth about us as if we are unredeemable. That's what a lot of us functionally act from and believe. And and so those in 1 John hearing those who were intellectually superior say, you don't believe the right things we do. They leave those who are left in the wake go maybe they're right. Maybe maybe we are wrong and we are unredeemable. But, But John says here John says here relax, you know, everything you need to know to have assurance that you are born of God, meaning that the spirit can be in your flesh, making you new. It's, it's a little like this. Let me say it this way. When you heard the title of the message today, um, Perhaps you read it on the bulletin. I, I said it a little earlier before we got into the message. Uh, we're in a series called Prove It. Uh, and each Sunday is a particular way that First John teaches us to prove it. So today is Prove It. By standing firm in the gospel. I suspect that when you heard that title, probably 100% of us assumed that that, that title meant we are going to learn some, some helpful knowledge and information so that we can stand firm in the truth of the gospel against all of those people who pervert it, right? Like that's, that's where our minds Quickly go. Like, we got to know the truth of the gospel to stand firm against those who distort it. And while that's certainly true, that is not what John is emphasizing here in the text. He's going deeper than that. Notice what John suggests for those Christians here who are struggling with feelings of inferiority. He's saying stand firm. Stand firm in the good news, the gospel, not so much against Others who distort it as for yourself. Stand firm in the truth of what God says about your fellowship with the Father. Stand firm for your own assurance that you are children. And because you believe in Jesus come in the flesh, you have an eternal heavenly Father Because you have fellowship with His Son. Just look at the text. Look at verses 24 to 27 here. These are great, great verses. It says, Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Notice there the word abide, which John clearly wants to emphasize, is used five times in four verses. That word abide there means to remain, to stand firm. He says, let what you heard from the beginning, what you already know, that Jesus has come in the flesh and that his life lived for you, gives you fellowship with God the Father. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Stay, remain, stick with, stand firm in that truth. These are my everyday shoes. I've uh, worn them pretty much every day since I bought them about four months ago, five months ago. Um, I like them. They're comfortable. Uh, from, day when they've been, from day one, they've been pretty comfortable. Uh, and they've just become more comfortable with time uh, as they conform to my feet uh, over time. I'm probably going to wear them all day today, uh, taking them right off before I go to bed. Uh, and I'm going to put them back on soon after I wake up tomorrow morning. Um, but we said they represent my inferiority complex, um, and I've sort of become comfortable with that being uh, sort of the personal narrative of my life on the inside. Um, I've, I've become comfortable letting that narrative um, of personal inferiority and insecurities sort of become the way I think about and talk about myself internally. So many mornings when I wake up uh, and I get ready, uh, my head is swimming, (laughs) swimming before I even get out the door with thoughts of the responsibilities that I feel inadequate to deal with, to bear uh, these feelings of inferiority to meet the day's needs. Uh, So I end up before I even get out the door wearing a message like I do most days of inadequacy and inferiority, which is something I naturally do a lot they're just they're just like shoes well worn shoes it, it's the It's the default personal mean for me. What John's encouraging us to do is to trade that inferiority with the words of the gospel to put on the gospel instead of the messages we've received from the Antichrists in our lives, that your personal inadequacy means you do not have a relationship with the Father. He's encouraging us to stand firm in the well-worn gospel basics. The well-worn gospel basics of Jesus' adequacy. That he is God in the flesh. And that he lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf that we could not. To give in to the truth, to live from the truth, to think from the truth of the well worn, regular old, you already know it, you don't have to know something more. You're not inferior because you don't know more basics of the gospel. Look in the eyes of the antichrists all around you and stand firm and stand courageously in the well-worn basics of God's love for you in the first place. He proved that love for you and for me, for all of us, in Jesus. You know this. You don't need to be taught that again except to preach that gospel yourself daily so so verse 24 let what you heard from the beginning stand firm abide, remain Jesus is enough you don't need to be taught something different or something more to have fellowship with your forever heavenly father let's pray friends Lord, continue to teach us the precious truth that you have given us all we need in Jesus. That our inadequacy is forever met by your perfect adequacy. Father, continue to reshape our hearts and minds. Around the amazing truth that in the person of Jesus, you came in the flesh and you made available to us through his sacrifice, his death on the cross, his resurrection that demonstrated the power over victory, power and victory over sin and death, that he made available to us your Holy Spirit that makes us new and that lives in us. Father, continue to teach us from this truth so that we would depend on the well-worn basics of the good news of Jesus and give up our personal inadequacies. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.